Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post, coming to you from the brand new and very nice, uh, better than very nice, excellent uh, new offices in New York City, um, where I'm recording this podcast with somebody where I'll soon be all the way across the country in San Francisco, uh, my friend Nate Duncan from the Dunkdown Basketball Podcast. Nate, how's it going? Pretty well, pretty well, especially now that I know that you're going to be joining us out here uh for uh, what's going to be an awesome season, at least here, uh, maybe not in the rest of the NBA. It is going to be something else, man. And and what what is it? What is it like? I mean, obviously the Warriors have been. Um, we're going to get into some other stuff, but I hadn't even thought of this. You know, you're out, you're in the Bay Area. You've been there a long time. You know, the last couple of years have obviously been incredible uh, for the Warriors, even without Kevin Durant coming. But is there any kind of uh, additional excitement there or anticipation for the season or is it still a little too early for for that stuff to really have built up out there yet well you're making the faulty assumption that i leave my house other than to uh <laughs> go to watch warriors games uh well, that's a good point which, which we're uh, going to get into but yeah yeah I, I i don't know if i have my thumb firmly on the pulse of the bay area zeitgeist i mean i think pe- people are excited about it though like friends that i have who have not really been into basketball are certainly into it. You look at the just the amount of money that the Warriors are making on all of these home playoff games. It's crazy. Is just astronomical. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, and I mean, they had all these seven game series, and the first two rounds went five. Uh, and I mean, you could this is an estimate, but the cap probably went up, you know, about a million and a half bucks this year just because of that Warriors playoff run uh, with the amount of money that they made. It was insane. No, it really, it really is remarkable. But I mean, you mentioned you mentioned how you you not leave your house that much, and that's kind of what I wanted to have you on the podcast about. And I'm sure anybody just about who listens to my podcast listens to yours, uh, which is excellent, and you should definitely check it out if you don't. Um, so I'll let you plug it later. But you, I, I'm kind of fascinated by your path to um, to where you've gotten to now, where you're just doing the podcast as kind of your your main job and so uh, you know we've talked about a lot off the podcast because we're friends and we talk about it but i'd kind of like you to walk through for people you know your your kind of path from just being kind of a fan and and interested in the sport to what you're doing now which is having a really successful podcast that's uh that's really been picked up a lot of places yeah i'm a a lawyer by trade i'd been practicing for about eight years until i finally retired about this time last year to concentrate on my show full time. And, and before 2012, I had never written anything about the NBA. I didn't have any actual contact with media or teams or anything. I'd just been a voracious reader and watcher of the league for a long time, played in high school, was an avid pickup player, but no real background beyond there. And so I just, I ended up deciding to start writing. I started my own little piddling blog and going to some events, just not really even having a great plan in mind, but just, you know, I, I mean, I remember back then if I could get like a retweet from just like a team blogger or something, I was just like so happy. Uh, and eventually I got on with the uh, basketball insiders and then decided to start my own podcast, got some great support from real GM in, in the beginning. And now it's, that's my job basically is just doing that podcast. Now, now if you could, you know, uh, your, your podcast is great. And, and I want to get into kind of the way you, you look at the game. Cause it, I think it stands out because of the way it does it. But like you, you mentioned how you just kind of decided to do a podcast, you know, what was it? Did you, did you just think it'd be fun to do? Was it, did you, were you just trying to get yourself out there as many ways as possible? Like what, what led you to decide that that was the right thing to do? Cause until that point, like you said, you were just writing mostly for, for your own site and then for basketball insiders. Yeah. At the time I was 
commuting between San Francisco where I lived and out to the East Bay in Walnut Creek where my firm was. And so I had almost two hours in the car most days and I became uh, a huge podcast listener and I felt like I just wanted a podcast that would be available in the morning that talked about the previous night's games when I got up and that product wasn't really out there. And so I decided that I would just try to create that product. And as it turned out, we were able and something that was just about detail about the game. We really wanted to treat fans like they know what they're talking about, not try to talk down to people at all, like to just create basically a podcast that I would want to listen to. I, I thought it might be a little bit too niche and maybe it is still pretty niche, but enough to make a living off of it at least now. No. And I, and I think, and I think that was really smart because I mean, look, we're both in the top 1% of basketball fans just in terms of our interest in the sport, which is, you know, why we're doing what we're doing. But, you know, I, I do think that, you know, it was a really good idea on your part because there isn't, there aren't a lot of podcasts that do what you get, what you and, and your most of the time co-host Danny LaRue do, um, which, you know, like you said, which is really dive into the, the minutia of the sport and whether it's from the CBA or, you know, really breaking down, you know, you guys go back and watch it during the playoffs. I know you guys go back and watch in the last five or six minutes of every close game and kind of go play by play and, you know, kind of walk through individual decisions, which is stuff that, you know, a lot of other, a lot of other people both don't have the, the time maybe to do, or I think, you know, have the ability to do. Um, is that, have you, is that kind of a way that you have always watched the sport um, or is that something that, that you've kind of acquired over time to, to try to kind of, you know, dig down into the, the minutia of a lot of things like that? Yeah, I think it's just my personality that I just am detail oriented. I, I just have a very curious mind. I want to know why things happen in the world and specifically in basketball. Why do teams win? Why do teams lose? Whether it's an individual game in the last five minutes, whether it's running an after timeout play, whether it's paying this amount for a guy instead of using his early bird rights uh, to uh, you know, do a sign and trade or whatever. Like you, there are a tons of little things that lead to teams winning and losing. And I, I really enjoy delving into that. No. And I, and I think, you know, and it's funny the way, the way the internet has, has changed the game in this, this realm, like, you know, it's, it's amazing how many people now, you know, either whether it's just through looking at our friend Larry Kuhn's site or just from, you know, either listening to your podcast or reading stuff like it, the number of people that not only care about, but understand a lot of the minutia of the CBA and the salary cap and like that want to listen to, you know, which one of, I've told you guys is one of my favorite podcasts, like, you know, the, the you and Danny and, and Dan Feldman and Kevin Pelton, like going through and actually like assigning contracts to teams uh, in the summer and like going through free agency and like really kind of at a micro level, breaking that stuff down. You know, I think that, you know, there probably were people that would have been interested in that 20 years ago, or even maybe 10 years ago, that there just wouldn't have been a way for them to, to really access the kind of, that kind of information anywhere. And I think now, you know, with the way the, the internet has kind of changed things and, and with, with podcasts like yours, now, if you're an obsessed NBA fan, like you can, you can go to your, your podcast and, and find out, you know, you can really hone in on any part of, of the CBA to the point where you know as much as a lot of the people that work for these teams about stuff. Yeah, it's true really of any aspect of our society now that if you have an interest, you can really, you have the means at your disposal to get into it and to make that public. And that's why, you know, network television doesn't get the ratings they used right. to because 
there used to be no competition for our eyeballs, and now there are you know millions of sites that you can read. There are millions of, of entertainment options, and so it's harder to have like an immediate smash hit. But if you're just trying to like make a living like I am, it's a great time. Yeah, no, totally. And and that obviously, you know, I remember, you know, we you I remember we talked. I think I was in. I think I might have been in in. Oakland right as you were making that decision to uh to to kind of just go and do the podcast and not not you know practice uh law full-time anymore and that obviously is a big step to take um you know I'm sure I you know I know there was at least a little bit of trepidation on your part because you weren't quite sure how it was going to go you know what led you to think that you know this was you know it was probably the right time for you to try to do that and and you know how how do you think now that you're you know a full season in coming up on a a full year doing it how do you think so far it's gone Oh, it's gone amazingly well. I'm just, you know, I, I thank whatever entity I want to thank every day <laughs> that I get to do this for, for a living. It's great. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, and it wasn't, I don't want to say it was some huge risk. I mean, this wasn't like, oh, I'm starting a podcast. I'm going to quit my job the next day. I'd been doing it. And obviously being a full-time lawyer and doing a daily podcast wasn't exactly the easiest thing in the world. But, you know, we had enough listeners at that point that, Although we didn't have sponsors yet, the hope was that they would come. So I had a pretty good idea that we're at least going to be able to eke by uh, when I left the job. And I, and I, but I wanted to focus on really trying to build up the audience and, and build up the sponsorship, which is an ongoing process. But, uh, you know, I didn't run out of food in the past year, at least. <laughs> well, no. And, I, and I, as someone who, you know, as you know, listens a lot, you know, you've gotten quite a few. And I, I've been I've been thrilled for the uh for the success you've had with it. It's been great. And, and like I said, as somebody who's a big, you know, I thought your, your intuition on it was really smart. Cause as somebody who, you know, I, even though I've been on the East coast until in a couple of weeks, um, you know, I thought your, I thought your thinking on it was pretty wise. Cause there really wasn't, you know, there's only one or two podcasts that, that really dive into stuff on a daily basis. I think that was why the basketball Jones, when they were recording in the morning became such a popular podcast. Cause that was kind of the only one that was really doing that on a daily basis, having something out in the morning, now that they're on TV, you know, not that the starters, even that's at six o'clock at night or seven o'clock at night that that comes out. So, you know, I, I think that you really tapped into, uh, tapped into a, a nice vein there and, and I'm really happy it's working out. But that being said, I wanted to ask you, and this is something I don't think I've even asked you about privately before. I'm fascinated by your ability to in real time be watching what seems like four games at once and tweeting about <laughs> all of them at the same time. Like, I feel like I'm a fairly smart person and I, I don't think I could even remotely do that. So I, I'm just kind of curious, it, what is your, um, what is your game, your game viewing situation at home? And like, when you are going through games at night, watching stuff, like, how are you, how are you processing all of that all at the same time? So I only have two TVs. One is on top of, on top of the other. So it's only really about two games, like literally <laughs> at once. And obviously I can't like li- like pay attention to both games at the same time. Sure. I only have enough attention for one, but usually I'll have a primary game that I'll have kind of assigned. And then, you know, when I'm tweeting, I'll, I'll try to do it during commercials or during free throws. If I have something real quick, I'm on my computer, obviously not my phone. So every once in a while, I, I don't worry about typos and I'll just try to type something out while someone's bringing the ball up court after a made basket or the ball goes out of bounds or something and just, hope that I spelled everything right with and not worry about the typos. And then, you know, during commercials, I'll flip to the pay more attention to the game on the other TV. And then as certain games get close, I'll go to watch them at the, uh, at the end. I try to watch, you know, at least one full game of every team every three weeks or so. 
to try to keep up with the league sometimes more often. Uh, but you know, and, and it's easy to do because we'll do two or three nights a week. We'll just do game wrap up shows. And so I'm forced to watch probably four four games basically, uh, two or three times a week. And so that kind of takes care of itself. Right now. And, and so when you are going through during the season and you guys are kind of, like you say, you're going through a couple nights a week where you are just doing game recaps. Like what, what is your, um, what is your night like on say like an average Tuesday night when there's, or Wednesday night when there's 10 or 12 games and then you and Danny are going to record a podcast when they're done. Like, how do you kind of, uh, how do you kind of get from beginning to end? Yeah. We'll talk about what games you want to do ahead of time. And if there are, enough big games on that we can't really all possibly we can't both watch all of them we'll say all right you watch this one and, I, and i'll watch this one we try to at least and just let our hearts kind of guide where we're going to go on a lot of those too and so we'll just start at four o'clock pacific watch the east coast games um and the only thing probably the only thing that's difficult is for some of the teams that games always start in central time like last year the spurs for example I wouldn't watch a lot of their games at the beginning because some of the East Coast games would just be ending. I'd be focused on that. And then by the time you turn to the Spurs game, they're already up by 20. And so you kind of like miss the competitive portion <laughs> right. of their game. So I didn't see as much Spurs as I wanted to at various points. But that'll be – and, you know, we'll usually go till about 10 o'clock or so watching games. I'll have taken a bunch of notes during it. I'll go back and look at some of my tweets and see if there's anything that I really wanted to – expand on and take about a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour or so to do an outline. Maybe if there's a, a great game that I didn't get a chance to see enough of, I'll go back and watch some tape on that. And then you know, usually around 11 Pacific or so, we'll start recording, finish up in an hour, and then the show will be up a half hour after that. Right. No, that's that's uh, that's interesting because I, I do think there's a lot of people that would kind of, that obviously are interested fans of your show that would kind of like to hear that. And it is it it is crazy how much basketball you and Danny watch. Like I try to I try to get through you know a game a day, and uh, and even that that can be tough. So I, I I applaud you guys for being able to plow through as many games as you do because it's uh you know it's definitely it's definitely not easy to to set aside that much time and, and get through it every day. Yeah, it's easier when the games are live. I, and I've talked to a GM once told me that like anybody can watch the games when they're live because you're just you're naturally curious what's going to happen. It's just the next morning, when you already know what happened, can you watch a game then? Are you still interested in it then? Uh, right. That's when it really, you know, if you're really trying to expand, learn more about the league, or like if I, if we're going to prepare another podcast, like, you know, for example, we'll do like the 15 and 60 podcast where we talk about 15 teams and usually more than 60 minutes, but 60 <laughs> sounds gonna, like I was going to say, it usually uh, doesn't work out to be 15 and 60. <laughs> you know, so we'll do that once a week so that we're hitting at least – five, 10 minutes or so on each team, at least once every two weeks. And, you know, for that, I'll go back and watch a lot of film and stuff like that's really more kind of what I think makes the difference is, all right, even if you know what happened, are you still interested? Are you, is there still something that you can get out of watching a game other than just, Oh, I want to see what's going to happen next. Right. Well, and I think something that's interesting is, you know, when I was on a beat and doing more kind of beat writer day to day stuff, um, you know, a lot of times people would get annoyed if you were tweeting, uh, you know, even kind of what seemed like beat minutia if, if they weren't, you know, big fans of the team I was covering at the time. But, you know, you've really racked up a lot of Twitter followers kind of just doing running commentary on games. Um, do, you, do you think that's because um, just because like the people that are drawn to you are going to be interested in that kind of stuff? Or do you 
or do you think that there's a, there's certain ways to do that that will benefit will benefit you as somebody who's you know is trying to you know get your audience grow your audience or for you know for some fan that maybe wants to try to do the same thing? Yeah, I felt like I mean I still somewhat embarrassingly I have you know I think I'm at like forty five thousand followers or something now and I have significantly more tweets over the lifetime of my account. <laughs> that, than that. And I never take it personally when someone I know in NBA media or whatever, like doesn't follow me. Cause I realize it's not for everyone. Like, you know, I don't tweet that much during the day, but during a game that I'm at, I'll probably tweet 30 times about that game or just, you know, even individual possession stuff like, Oh, that guy didn't close out or something like that. Or, you know, and to where I certainly would understand if you're not watching that game, it wouldn't be of particular interest to you. So I never take it personally, but I felt like I just I had stuff to say and that was a, a way to say it and hopefully enough people were interested in it that uh, you know you can establish some relationships with people just by Twitter uh, other journalists and uh, get recommended by some people like the big way I built my number of followers was Bob Volgaris. I was at three thousand followers and he said hey you got to follow this guy and then I woke up the next morning I was at eight thousand well, that's that's so when just, I followed you admittedly like, I, I didn't even I hadn't even heard of you at that point and uh, and Bob tweeted that, and I went and looked at your Twitter feed. I was like, "Oh, that's kind of interesting." And I was like, "Oh, I should follow this guy." So yeah, no, it, that uh, no, it's it's cool how that stuff works, and that that is kind of the fun thing about social media and about the internet in general is that if if you are, and I think this is for this, I think applies to any any fans that want to try to to get into writing about stuff. Like if you do good work and and you're interesting, like people will find your stuff. It's kind of the it's kind of the nice thing about the internet where it is does kind of level the playing field. Where obviously if you are at an established site, you're going to be ahead of the game, no question. But if you are, you know, if you do put the time in and you, you have interesting thoughts on things, they're, they're going to find a home somewhere because people, you know, people just kind of tend to gravitate towards that stuff just, just out of the natural way things work. Yeah, people will read you. You may not make any money out of it. Making money out of writing is, right. is kind of tough. And that's part of why I have uh, gravitated more towards audio because I've found that it's, you know, 20,000 people listening to a podcast versus 20,000 people reading an article. Like there's no comparison in terms of like what the, uh, what the economic landscape is, is like there. But I mean, I think if you're any good and you just start your own little, uh, you know, medium or, or whatever, and write 10 or 15 or 20 articles and you're actually good and you try to solicit, uh, some of like the smaller team sites and stuff to who are, you know, not really paying anything, but you could definitely get, a platform if uh if it's good i mean i i just love the way that the world works now with social media and the way you can build a following is that you know if you're good there is a way that people will start to recognize it and and it, i really appreciate that whereas in previous eras it was like all right you go to journalism school and then you kind of hope you know and, and yeah. hope that you know people and that kind of thing and, and it was just a lot harder to get noticed unless you went through this very traditional pathway with a very traditional uh, over investiture, some might say, of resources in going down it. Yeah, no, totally, totally agree. It's 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 uh, it's led to it's led to I think a lot more interesting and better writing overall, and 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 obviously including podcasting with you being prime example. But I want to let's shift a little bit. You 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 know, as I talked before, you are somebody that that is as well versed on some of the minutia of things as anybody that's doing this stuff. So I I don't know if I don't know if you've really I think you've probably done this on the podcast some of your overviews, but I'm just kind of curious what. You know, obviously this summer there was a giant cap spike. Everybody listening knows that. There was a gazillion dollars spent um, by a lot of different teams. Um, what, what, were, what were your kind of biggest takeaways from the way 
this all played out from kind of a macro league standpoint, you know, from maybe what you thought to how it played out to maybe how it might impact, you know, over the next couple of years? It reminded me just very much of some of the boom bust cycles that we've seen just in economics, right? Like if you ever read uh, Friday Night Lights, the actual book, they talk about how oil prices would go up and then it was economically feasible to drill for oil in Texas and everyone would go crazy and start making a bunch of money and spending a bunch of money and wouldn't save. And then, you know, the price of oil would go down and all of a sudden, like, you know, it didn't make sense to drill for oil there anymore because uh, the oil from the Middle East was so much cheaper and easier to get. And and they kind of reminded me of that, that, you know, especially last year, it was almost impossible to give out bad contracts 2015 because everyone knew the cap spike was coming and they're still artificially limited because the new TV contract hadn't kicked in. And then this year, everybody had money. I think 27 of the 30 teams used salary cap space in, you know, the previous CBA, you probably, when you had longer contracts, might the have cap been 27 be combined in the previous CBA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's right. Like, like, you know, maybe you would have six or seven teams per year right. would have any significant space of like 10 million or more. And so now though, the cap is going to go up again next year by projected to be 8 million could be more than that if uh, more revenue comes in, if uh, the CBA changes. But, you know, it's not going to be the game-changing $24 million increase. It'll, it'll probably be at most half of that. And then it, the projections are that it's going to be relatively flat after that. It, you know, enough that even salaries this year with just that got the 7.5% annual raises are probably going to be increasing just as fast as, as the cap is. And so now you combine that with the fact that this year's free agent class was actually pretty crappy. And I think that a lot of the contracts that were signed this off season are going to end up looking really, really bad. And for some teams that's understandable because this was going to be their only chance at space. They had guys on rookie contracts who are going to be getting really expensive. And so they felt like, all right, this is our one chance. We might as well just spend it because, you know, we're going to be capped out in the future anyway. Uh, but still, I mean, even the teams that weren't in that position, that spent so much money where I think a lot of times, you know, cause fan bases would be like, Oh, well, you know, we spent uh four years, 70 million on, on inventory. Yeah. It's over. But like, who else were we supposed to sign? Who else were we supposed to sign? Uh, well, the answer would be nobody. If, if that's what the price is. <laughs> like, <laughs> I always enjoy Nate Duncan, uh, angry fan voice whenever it comes up on the podcast. And, uh, I, I always enjoy that. <laughs> you just, you're just projecting what your Twitter feed sounds like into the, into the ether. Um, And and I guess the other takeaway I would have, too, is this was a unique time because generally teams that are good have good players who cost money and are expensive and don't have a ton of salary cap space. And so this was a time when not only did so many teams have space, but good teams had space. The Warriors, Kevin Durant, the Celtics, Al Horford being the two most salient examples. And so hopefully there won't now be an overreaction to that this kind of one-time thing that, oh, now super teams are being built. It's too easy to build these teams. And people should realize that that was really just a one-time situation that we don't need to change all the rules here now all of a sudden to, like, prevent this from ever happening again because it's not going to ever happen again. Well, and that, and that I think, Nate, is the real thing to watch over the next year because, um, you know, as you know, the, the CBA, the current collective bargaining agreement, both sides have the ability to opt out of it on December 15th. And 
there's about a 100% chance that one or both of them will opt out on December 15th. So really the deadline for a new collective bargaining agreement without a lockout will be uh, June 30th of next summer. And I'm with you. I think that people, the thing that people need to pay attention to over the next 10 months is can Adam Silver and the league office prevent ownership of the, thir- the owners of the other 29 teams from seeing what happened with Kevin Durant going to the Warriors and saying we have to just tear the system up? Because I think if there's a lockout, I think the biggest reason why is because the vast majority of the league is enraged that Kevin Durant was able to go to a team like the Warriors. And the, the only evidence you need to worry about something like that happening, and when I say worry, I mean that as a basketball fan, I don't want there to be any lost games next season because of a lockout, is you go back to 2011. And when there was a lockout in 2011, the biggest sticking points from ownership standpoint was that they didn't want the Miami Heat to be reconstituted after going forward. And so they put in all these rules to try to keep that from happening. And to your point, they basically... Didn't work, by the way. What's that? None of those no, of and, course, and no, of course they didn't. The rules didn't work. Right, of course they didn't. Which they, which to your point, whenever they rules like that never work. When you go, oh, we have to do all these things to prevent things from happening. You know, a perfect example is in the last CBA, they changed the extension rules. So, oh yeah. For instance, Lamarcus Aldridge would have never left Portland if a year before he had free agency, like he could have in the past, he could have signed a five-year contract extension with Portland. He would have signed it. He would have got his money. And nothing would have, like, and you can argue maybe Portland was better off in the long run that he left, given the way things went. But the bottom line is Portland lost an all-star player in part because when he was willing to sign, or at least said publicly he was willing to sign with them long term, it didn't make financial sense for him to do so. And you could argue that the same situation yeah, and, and it wasn't the even the now. years. It wasn't even the years so much as it was that you could only increase your previous salary right. by uh, 7.5%. Uh, that's what the, I mean with the cap going up, but then it really made no sense. Right, right, exactly. So you know they they kind of they kind of put it into a situation where all of these players, you know, whether it's Kevin Durant or Lamarcus Aldridge or Dwight Howard, all these guys, they the only way it financially made sense for them to sign a contract was to get to free agency. And you know, once you get to free agency, even if you want to stay somewhere, you never know what's going to happen. And so you know, look, let's let's look at Kevin Durant, right? If Kevin Durant could have signed a five-year max extension a year ago when he's coming off of a season when he had multiple surgeries on his foot, you know, who knows? Maybe he would have signed a five-year contract extension right then, and he might still be in Oklahoma City. Instead, you know, he went through the season, he saw what happened with the Warriors, he got to free agency, and he was able to make a decision. So, you know, that to me, I'm with you. I think that is the, the number one question going on in the NBA because, you know, I could I could see a scenario where, if if the the league if the if the league can't keep its troops in line and in, in terms of looking at the bigger picture and seeing look things are pretty great right now to your point we shouldn't try to rip the system up because of one fluke situation with the, the television contract i do wonder if they try to ram through a whole bunch of stuff that even prevents these warriors from even what you know maybe they can maybe they try to do it where they can't even re-sign everybody but certainly where they try to do all this stuff to to prevent this from happening again and then there's probably a whole nother series of unintended unintended consequences like the last time i'm not as worried about that issue i think it's it usually to me comes down to the revenue and the raises and, and that kind of stuff i mean the, the revenue i think is the biggest issue that because michelle roberts I was not privy to these conversations, 
But I'm guessing her platform wasn't, oh, yeah, let's just keep the same amount of revenue that we got killed on in the last CBA when she got elected, right? Right. I'm guessing her platform was, hey, things are going well. Let's try to get some of this back. We took a haircut to try to make teams more financially solvent, uh, which, by the way, I've, I thought even in the last CBA, when you throw in the amount that franchises appreciated, well, everybody's losing money thing w- was a little bit overblown. Right. Uh, but but nonetheless, I mean, if, even if you take that as a given, now everyone is quite profitable, especially now that all the players that got amnestied are kind of off the books. And so and, and all these teams are using cap space. So very few teams are spending way over the cap. So that's also helping to make individual teams more profitable. So, I mean, a, a lot of it to me is are the players, are they going to be OK with just sticking with the revenue. I, my hope is that the owners are not going to try to squeeze more because the reality is the owners are in such a better financial position that if every single time they could just squeeze the players and win, it's just do they want to pl- take that hit to just the overall game of basketball? You're almost kind of determined or, or reliant on the owner's largesse to not do that. Uh, but now they're making enough money, you would hope that they wouldn't have that much momentum to do that. So to me, the question is going to be, are the players going to try to take some of that money back? And if they do, are the owners just going to capitulate? That seems a, a little unlikely to me. My hope is that the compromise can be that they have this range now where the players get between 49 and 51% of the revenue. And my hope, would, based on how much money they make, you know, you get the players get more, higher percentage if the league makes more money. Right. My hope would be that maybe they could just increase that range so there's more variability so the players can say, all right, when you're doing really well, we don't have to take a haircut. We'll, we'll get more of it. If there is an economic downturn and we start to, you know, the league starts hurting again, owners, you're still protected a little bit. Like that would be my hope for a compromise. But I am not quite sure, you know, we'll see what ends up actually happening. No, and to be to be clear, I should be clear. I agree with you. You know, th- these situations in terms of whether there's lost games and all that stuff, it, it always does come down to the money. Um, but I, I do think from a, a long-term macro sense, um, you know, what, what if, if they do try to, to put in rules to prevent stuff like what happened with the Warriors from happening again, you know, I'll be very curious to see if that actually comes to be and if so, what the ramifications turn out to be. Because, you know, yeah. like I said, you, when, as soon as you got through that last CBA, once, as soon as you saw... You know, I remember I was covering the la- I covered the the day the lockout ended, and I remember you know the first time we got a chance to I think when Larry updated his site, I was going through and and reading through the the changes, and when I saw the extension stuff, I was like, this is going to be a disaster because every team in a small market is not going to be able to keep these guys from at least getting to free agency anymore. And sure enough, since then we've had basically one star player change teams a year, and yeah. you know sometimes they're for big markets, but still we've had a guy change teams every year and. You know, it'll, it'll just be very interesting to see, you know, to your point, if they do over, you know, try to overcorrect what isn't really a situation needs to be corrected, what the what the consequences that'll be. I also think, too, that not only is it the case that this is a one time thing in terms of the Warriors putting this team together, but, you know, what, this is going to be two years. Like, I think they're probably going to win the championship this year. If those guys stick around, not a guarantee, even if the system doesn't change, by right. the way, cause since both Steph and Durant are free agents. Right. But then I think next year they probably would be significant favorites as well. And then after that, you know, Steph will be 30, Durant will be 29. They'll start to be a little bit on the downside. Draymond Green probably not going to age incredibly well as an undersized player. 
you know, Clay Thompson, those guys will be getting a little bit past their primes and like, and then it'll be competitive again. I mean, everyone said, oh, Miami, you know, not five, not six, not seven. They didn't win the championship the first year. They won it the second year, uh, but in a, were in actually a, not in a, favored. Well, and that, was the a, final. and that was a razor thin. I mean, I know it ended yeah. up being a 4-1 series, but that the first four games of that series were all toss-ups right down to the last basically 20 seconds. Yeah, and, and they probably, you know, you could argue even beaten the Bulls that year either. You know, they barely squeaked by the four-seed Boston, which wasn't a good team really that, that year compared to most right, conference finalists. Then the year after. the greatest game of, of his career to, to beat them. Yeah, yeah. Then the year after, it was uh, they squeaked by San Antonio in seven. They should have lost that series. And then they got they got killed in uh, in 2014. So even when it looked, and I think this team is going to be better than that Heat team, by the way. I think they fit together better. But Agreed. nonetheless, like this is going to be two years, maybe three, and then it'll be over. Or at least it'll be, to say that it's not going to be co- competitive, I think there'll only be one or two of these years where it's not competitive. And that's in the best, if everything goes swimmingly for Golden State with, in terms of injuries and stuff, which doesn't always happen. Yeah, no, totally. Um, no, I totally, totally agree. And I, I, you know, I, I think actually, I, I've been wanting to say this. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, no, go I think for the it. Bigger make, problem make a, in the make league, a controversy. <laughs> the bigger problem in the league, which I don't know that you can do anything about, is that other than the Cavs and the Warriors, all of the other like top 15 players in the league are like by themselves. And like a lot of these teams, you've got guys. That don't even, and I guess Chris Paul and Blake Griffin would be the only one, but Griffin is not a top 15 player in the league until he can stay healthy. Right. Uh, you know, Anthony Davis is on a team that with that doesn't have any other player in the top 50. Russell Demarcus Westbrook. Cousins. Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Demarcus Cousins is, is basically by himself. You know, there are a lot of guys. Paul George is kind of by himself. Carmelo Anthony, I, although maybe not in that category is kind of by himself. Uh, you know, so a lot of these teams, it's more even that some of these other teams, James Harden is by himself now. Uh, and, and Howard wasn't really in that category last year either. So it's more that the some so many, I mean, you've got, I can't remember another time when you had so many great players on teams that are just like going to be struggling to make the playoffs because they're the only good player on the team. Yeah, no, it, it is, it is a funny, it, it is just kind of, it's going to be a really interesting year, I think, because, you know, in in some senses, it's going to be very boring, right? Because barring catastrophe, the finals are going to be the same. You know, the Warriors are going to be there in the West, and the Cavs are going to be there in the East. And yeah, it would just take during like the '80s was that way, though, right? right? Like no, 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 I, no. I no, I agree with you. I'm not saying that's I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. But just what I was going to say was like you can kind of from a macro sense, you can kind of look at the league and go, all right, we know what the finals are going to look like, barring you know, somebody, multiple serious injuries. But I think that from like 3 to 11 in both conferences are a total mess. Like you could say maybe 4 to, maybe 4 to 12 in the East or 4 to 13. And I think you could say probably, probably 4 to 13 or probably 4 to 12 in the West. Like you could have any, you could throw those eight or nine teams in both conferences in any order, and it would make sense. Like, I, I think that we might have four or five playoff spots not decided until the final week of the regular season, which I think will be really interesting. But to your point, it's going to be because a lot of these teams have one really good player, and they're just kind of all jockeying to win somewhere between 40 and 46 games. And it'll just be – it's just going to be a very interesting year to see how it all shakes out. 
What do you think the percent chance is that we don't see a finals rematch? Percent chance. I would say it's probably, to me, the chance, okay, here's my question. What is, and I guess this will be my answer, what is the percent chance that LeBron James has a season-ending injury? Because to me that, (laughs) because I think that is what will prevent it. I think the Warriors would have to have multiple season-ending injuries. I think if the Cavs, and I think if anybody else on the Cavs or even multiple guys get hurt but LeBron, they are going to make it too. So, I don't know, maybe 10%. That LeBron, I think it's, I think it's got to be higher hurt. than that, just b- based on on history. I mean, it does it does seem like this is certainly in NBA history. I can't think of another year in which the finals matchup appeared more preordained. But I, I would say it's still it would have to be over twenty five percent, just because yeah, like I guess from a crazy game, stuff from a happens. game three series from a game theory standpoint, it would have to be higher. But I I guess to me. Let me ask you: Is do you can you paint a picture where outside of injury, either of those teams doesn't get back there? Um, I mean, you could say that like Draymond Green goes crazy, and like that, you know, maybe that causes some problem with Golden State. Although I think those fears are, are overblown. I think um, the problem is out west. Maybe, like, maybe LeBron James. I mean, LeBron James to be thirty-two. Like maybe he just falls off a cliff this year. You know, maybe he's just not that good anymore. Maybe he's. He is the seventh best player in the NBA this year all, all of a sudden. I mean, that just can happen when you're 32, even though he is LeBron and he's, you know, I mean, what he's been able to do to prevent a physical drop-off is, yeah. you know, probably better than any player has ever aged in that respect in NBA history. But it has to happen at some time. And, you know, I mean, for most play- the number of players who have been 32 years old uh, and were still – a top five player in the league, you could count those on, on one hand. And obviously, I think I think he's the second best player ever, so he deserves credit for that. But sure. th- that would be the way I think it's that he just, you know, isn't able to be as good th- this year, that this is like when he moves into a new phase in his career. And I thought that was actually kind of happening last year. And then, you know, he had that unbelievable playoffs and yeah. unbelievable finals. Prove me completely wrong. Now, and look, and to your point, maybe that was the last gasp, right? I mean, maybe – you know, maybe it was like he saw the finish line in the finals, especially after they got it to 3-2, and he just put the pedal down. And like that, like maybe that is kind of the last incredible moment for him. I mean, not that he's going to stink, but to your point, maybe he does drop off to being the 8th to 10th best player in the league instead of the best. The, the other problem, too, is that like the competition in the East like doesn't even have anyone like that's well, like that, that good. That was my question. That was going to be my question back to you is I like there was a lot of talk. Back when, um, back when the Raptors, uh, no, back when the Raptors, when the when the Celtics were going after Horford, and the Wizards were going after Horford, there was a lot of talk that you know if Al Horford had gone back to Atlanta, Paul Millsap was going to immediately get traded. And for instance, if Paul Millsap had ended up on the Raptors, like then to me, you might have had a team where this season, if something like that happened, maybe the Raptors would have been good enough because then you'd have you know again, Paul Millsap's another guy. 32 years old. I think you just talked about him the other day on the on your Atlanta Hawks preview where now he's 31 or 32. You know, does he start to drop off after the way his career's gone? But, like, to me, I think the only way that even with a LeBron drop-off that the Cavs could be beaten is if Toronto or Boston makes a, another very big pickup. Like, Toronto got DeMarcus Cousins or Boston got DeMarcus Cousins or, like, some player of that magnitude wound up on one of those teams where then maybe you could say, all right, there's enough talent around them. But, like, to me, I mean, Al Horford's a really good player, but 
I can't look at them now and say they have enough to knock out the Cavs in a playoff series. Like I, I just yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It, it's and the West is kind of the same way to me. Know. The top of the West is kind yeah. of you know like I think we both agree that the Spurs kind of signed Pau Gasol to rather than think they're going to win a championship this year was to kind of keep their cap space for another year and try to win as many games as possible. And so in the regular season, they'll probably win a bunch of games again because they have Lamar Saldridge and Ka- Kawhi Leonard and they're still coached by Greg Popovich. And, you know, they've got Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker, whatever's left of them. And like, they'll still be good, but without Tim Duncan replacing him with, with Paul Gasol, they're going to be a lot worse on defense and they're, they can't really beat the, the Warriors. And I, I, it's hard for me to see the Clippers after all this time, you know, somehow, getting better when all these guys are a year older and Blake Griffin's coming off serious injuries and Chris Paul's another guy. He's going to be 32 as a small point guard with a, you know, long-term knee issue. I mean, that, you know, it's, it's just, you look around it, it's just hard to see the contender. And that would, to me, like, look, I'm moving to Golden State or to, to the Bay Area because I think this Warriors team is going to be fascinating. And, you know, it's, it's going to be the thing to cover in the league this year. But that being said, that is the thing that was kind of, a bummer about the fact that Durant decided to go there. Not that it, he's in every right to do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm all for players choosing where they want to play. And it's obviously going to be a lot of fun. And if I was him, it'd be hard for me not to do the same thing, just looking at the way that team plays and getting to live in the Bay Area. It obviously is going to be fun for him. But that, that's, that Warriors-Thunder matchup had a chance to be really great the next couple of years. And it is a little disappointing that we're not going to get a chance to see, you know, round two and round three of that over the next couple of seasons. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think also Warriors are the awesome monolith now. And then the Cavs in the East, you could say that some of the teams that might have been willing to throw some assets into the pot if it appeared a little bit more wide open right. are going to be deterred from doing that because they feel like, oh, we're not going to win anyway. Right. No, that's that's true. You know, and even and look like the one guy who was, you know, definitely probably going to be on the market if he wasn't willing to sign up for at least one more year is Russell Westbrook. And now he's. You know, he's probably for this entire season, you know, barring something crazy happening in Oklahoma City, he's probably off the board. So you even if you look around, I mean, how many of these guys do you think could even get traded? I mean, probably DeMarcus Cousins is the only one who you'd think of the real elite players, even these ones that are kind of on their own islands. He's probably the only one that you would think, all right, if, you know, maybe if Sacramento, again, has a sideways season, as they probably will, you know, maybe they decide to, to move on from him at the trade deadline. But that... He's probably the only guy that's really a game-changing talent that could even remotely be on the market now, right? I mean, at least as well, it stands now. Or am I missing somebody? I think Millsap, definitely. He'll still be a free agent if the Hawks are 500 at the deadline. You know, you could, and especially they are a very forward-thinking management team. They are not particularly sentimental, as illustrated by the way they've true. treated guys like Carroll and even Horford not giving him the full five-year max, which probably would have caused him to stay, would be one. Uh, maybe if things go horribly wrong in Los Angeles with the Clippers, with Paul and Griffin both being free agents, that would be a possibility. Uh, Gordon Hayward in Utah, although I don't expect things to go poorly with them. I think the Bulls uh, are going to be a mild disaster, so that that could potentially lead yeah, I guess to you Jimmy, could see Butler. Jimmy Butler or maybe even Carmelo, if you still think Carmelo's on that level with the Knicks are a disaster. Yeah, although Carmelo would of course have to would, would have to agree to the trade. So, I mean, there are some 2017 free agents who are good uh, that that could potentially be moved if things go wrong for them. Uh, but, yeah, I, I I don't necessarily – and I don't, I don't know even that Millsap is someone who's going to make a different team 
acquires him and he's old enough where you're not like, oh, yeah, got this guy. And now we can throw a four year max at him. Right. Uh, in free agency. I mean, that's why you'd be getting traded from the Hawks to begin with because they didn't want to pay him. That yeah, guy. I guess that my thinking was more like, you know, the, the like the true game changer guy changing teams like, oh, yeah. like a top 10 or 12 guy, which to me, you know, uh, Russell Westbrook would have been in that group. And I, I think Demarcus is. You know, and I guess Jimmy Butler is yeah, I mean, not what quite if that if high. They Jimmy are, Butler's in the fringes of that. Where if, I mean, maybe if Oklahoma City is 500 as well, if it's just not working out for them, you know, and it's clear that they are just not even close to even being a, in the mix to be a top four seed in the West, even in what's a relative down year uh, for those top teams outside of Golden State. Uh, you know, maybe he could be back on the deadline. He's be eligible to be traded six months after he signed Right. That renegotiated and extend, so that'll be a, you know a couple of weeks before the trade deadline. So right. you know, I mean, I think some of those teams have got to disappoint. You would think, and that that might change the conversation a little bit. Now that's true. I have a feeling they're going to hang on to him one way or the other, though, in the hopes that there is some kind of a a franchise tag or of some kind in the the new CBA to keep to keep guys on a team. But um, you know, but we'll see. We'll see football, how that plays out. Football off seasons are so boring because of the franchise tag. Like it's, I mean, oh, I agree. If they added that, it would reduce interest in the NBA off season so much. I think. I agree. Look at this last summer. Look, I mean, you know, I had two and a half million hits on on the Washington Post website in three days about Kevin Durant. I mean, you know that you know there there's no question that people eat this stuff up. I mean, you you know from doing the podcast. I mean, the the interest. You know, even though you're a game focused podcast, I mean, the the interest in transactional stuff is is off the charts, especially when it comes yeah, to star well, players. Our, like our, yeah, our biggest episodes were just going through every signing and how much cap space teams have left and stuff. But those are uh, other than the mock off season, those are our biggest episodes. And also, I think not only is it important just for interest in the off season, but just discussions like the one we're having of who could who could get traded or you right. know, just kind of. For because because it's true that there only are really ten or twelve game changing players, maybe you could argue in the league. And so if teams just get to keep those guys forever, basically to a to a franchise tag, there's a lot less interest on those other teams. Like there are so many teams like, oh, we have all these assets. Maybe could we get this guy? Could we get this guy? Like if right. you don't even have that fantasy anymore, like now you're less interested in the league too. No, I totally agree. And that that's where it goes back to my point about the the. The, the long-term consequences and stuff for me like that that's where i think that we could see some stuff like that because there's no question to me that look if you have a great player you get like kevin durant was on the on the thunder for nine years like to me that's more than enough time for you to, to get a team yeah. that is good enough and if a guy after nine years decides he wants to play somewhere else then good for him um but yeah that, i mean like oh, go ahead. anthony davis is having his career completely pissed away by the pelicans right now <laughs> and you, you know there's no real yes. hope in sight for yes. him being on, on a contender. So, you know, Kevin Love would have just been stuck in, in Minnesota forever. Right. Uh, they just offered him the five Conference years that he wanted. Of, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> then he, like, would, then he so would have stayed. It's, yeah. I, I mean, it, you know, I'm I think we have about the right level. I mean, there's always going to be a mix of sports being a meritocracy, which is, you know, what's supposed to be what it's all about on the court and off the court. As opposed to, all right, you know, large markets have certain advantages and we need a salary cap to even it out and we need a draft to help bad teams have hope. I think we're at a pretty decent mix of those things right now uh, with the only thing that I would change is that if you lose more than a certain number of games per year that you shouldn't be able to get the number one pick. That's the only change that I would make. I think the system is 
while not perfect, about as good as it can be. Yeah, and look, I think the the proof of that is the fact that the interest in the league has never been higher and is only on an upward trajectory. So um, I, I think it's hard to argue that that it's in a pretty good place. And you know, you'd like to think that they would uh, that the powers that be on both sides would like to keep the uh, the golden goose going as opposed to, to trying to, to carve it up. Um, now we got a few minutes before we got to go. Let's just I asked some people on Twitter to. Um, Submit questions. They sent a bunch. I'm just gonna lightning round it and just I'll have you give me quick answers to them. Um, uh, awesome. Who who's the best player in the league right now? Steph Curry. Uh, I think if he had been healthy and played the way he did in the 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 last two series, I would say that it was LeBron James. But the guy had a top five regular season of all time, and then he got hurt. And I think you know it's unprecedented for a guy to miss that amount of games. And so, well, I think I have some concerns because, you know, he probably couldn't work out to his normal level due to that injury. He had a short off season and he is, you know, he was 28 last year. So he's getting a little bit past what you would normally consider his prime to be. And then he's just not going to have as much of a chance to showcase it. He was just so far above anyone else in the league during the regular season last year that I think even with those factors, he's got such a great distance to fall to get back to everybody that I would still say that it's him. I might say LeBron just because of how incredible he was in the in the in the finals, and he has the he kind of has the the title. But I, I'd agree with you, Curry. Curry was incredible, and the fact he got hurt is a shame, just because it. I think people will diminish what he did in the regular season, which was truly remarkable. Um, well, and what no, I'll say there too is that I think the biggest argument for LeBron over Curry is his durability. LeBron yes. never gets hurt. Right. Right. He's, like he's that's a, and a, Curry. He's a freak of nature. Yep. And, and Curry does. I mean, that's the, the thing that's most underrated about LeBron and Michael Jordan for that matter too, is yep. that they just never got injured. Yep. Uh, who wins MVP this season? I'll go with Steph again. I don't feel great about that pick. I just think he's going to be the best player. I think the Warriors are going to be awesome. Uh, and LeBron, I don't think they're going to win enough games. I would say, the other guy I would put in the mix is Kawhi Leonard just because if the Spurs win 63 games, you know, I could very easily see it being him. Sure. No, I think that's fair. I am I think I, my, I said that I, I wrote a thing the other day how I think Russell Westbrook uh, is, is, in my opinion, the favorite to win. I know it's kind of a controversial slash minority opinion, but I also think that the Thunder are probably going to be a little better than people think. I think they're probably going to win just over 50 games. I think they're going to win that division, and I think that's going to be enough because of the how low the expectations bar is for the Thunder now after Durant left, that I think that there will be a narrative built that he should be the MVP. But I, I think that Kawhi is a really smart choice. I just can't see anybody on the Warriors winning it, um, personally, because I yeah, well, uh, to be, uh, to be clear, I've, my choice was Curry, but I think Kawhi would be my second. No, no, no. I, yeah, I was getting back to your vote. I, I mean, I, I could yeah. easily see a situation where Curry or Durant deserves to win it and just doesn't because of, you know, just a bias against the Warriors this year from uh, an award standpoint. Um, let's see. I'm going to skip. Uh, <laughs> who wins more games between the Sixers and the Nets? Uh, I saw that one in the queue, and I started thinking about it. The Nets, in my opinion, have the two best players on those rosters. Brooke Lopez and probably Lynn actually is better yes. than anyone Sixers. Uh, I mean, I the Sixers I clearly the have. I think it's the Nets for sure because the Sixers, yeah. the, the Sixers are very young, and the Sixers also don't have a roster that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. You can argue their five best players are two power forwards and three centers, <laughs> which you can't really play all those guys, even though Ben Simmons is more of a point guard than a power forward. It's It's just... I'm fascinated by that team. What actually, you know, we'll 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 run through more of these in more of a lightning round. But real quick, what do you what do you think happens with those five guys between Simmons, Saric, 
uh, Okafor, Noel, and 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 uh, Embiid. Like, let's assume Embiid stays healthy, which I know is a huge if, but let's just pretend for now he's healthy. How many of those guys are on the team at the end of the season? Four. They just trade one of the centers. Yeah, I think it'll probably be Noel who who ends up getting moved, and that I think they just they'll feel like they need more information about uh, Embiid, even if he makes it through one year healthy. I think Okafor actually you know could look better, especially if he's not playing quite as many minutes this year. If he has someone like Simmons to get him the ball. I mean, they had such horrible point guard play a year ago, even someone like Sergio Rodriguez and then having just competent shooting with Jared Bayless, who, who is not very good defensively, but at least, you know, can space the floor a little bit. They've got Covington around. I think that those guys could look a, a lot better and we'll see how good Embiid is too. I mean, he, you, not only has he missed two years and we're worried about him getting injured again, but he presumably hasn't had a chance to develop already in those two years. And he's now, 22 years old. So he's, he's got a great body. He's got a great skill level when he's posting up against cones or, or shooting jumpers, but we'll see how good he actually is. And if he's not that good, you know, it's quite possible that Okafor could still be better than him, even if he stays healthy. Right. And I, I also think that uh, hiring Kenny Atkinson is going to be a big boost for the Nets. He's a really good player development guy. And, and the Nets, you know, they have a lot of young guys. And I think, you know, Kenny's gotten some credit for being part of Hawks University and he, was obviously a guy that helped Lynn when he was in New York. And I just think that his, um, his presence there and their, their focus on development is probably going to help a lot of the young guys. Um, and they also, they don't have a draft pick and, uh, right, there's no and incentive, the Sixers. Right, there's no incentive for them to, to lose games. And I, and I think Brooke Lopez will stay on that team for the whole year too, which I think will, will help. Um, as, a, as a Bulls fan, here's one for you. Can the Bulls alleviate their spacing and ball neediness issues by convincing Wade or Rondo to come off the bench? The answer is absolutely not. <laughs> the answer is absolutely not because neither one of them will be coming off the bench, nor will Fred Hoiberg, who wasn't exactly the most uh, stern figure in the locker room last year, be telling either of them to come off the bench. That, that will well, not Well, happen. here's the other thing, too, is if you bring Rondo off the bench, then your option is Jerry Grant, who isn't really that much better of a shooter than Rondo is. So why are you even going to bother with that? I mean, I think the only thing that you might do would be we're just going to start Wade and Butler in the backcourt and because we're just so desperate for shooting and we're going to then play McDermott and Miritich at the three and the four, you're not going to stop anyone that way, but you're probably, they're probably not going to stop anyone anyway. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't see it. And that's a moot point. Cause like you said, they're not, they're just not doing it. Uh, they're not doing it anyway. Um, here's, here's one. How do you rate, uh, how do you, okay. It's not Kevin Pelton's, but how do you rate the RPM model? Is it useful or are there better, um, are there better models out there to predict teams? Um, so what's your opinion? I on think RPM? it is very, yeah. It, it, RPM is really useful for sure. Which for those who aren't familiar that basically, right. It's, real, it's called real to, plus minus just for those who don't yeah, know. Yeah. It purports to take the, uh, how well a team does with a player on the floor and then adjust for the quality of his teammates and the opposition to, to come up with a number of how many points per 100 possessions a player's impact is on offense and defense. And that is certainly very good. Um, and I think, you know, there are some other ones, like one on Nylon Calculus today is this uh, player tracking plus minus, which uses some of the publicly available sport view data, like rim protection numbers and catch and shoot uh, numbers and a bunch of other stuff like that uh, to kind of figure out, you know, how much those are worth and, and figure out how much players are worth and then do some projections. But I think it's hard to know exactly which one of those uh, is most predictive because we only have, you know, really two or three years of any of these being in the public sphere. Then you you have to go back to more kind of box score based right. metrics. So I think probably the best way to do it is 
from reputable places like Nylon Calculus or Kevin Pelton's. I certainly think that those are, if not gospel, a good way of thinking about, hey, let me take another look at this team like a Boston or a Portland last year and think about, hey, yeah, I know that they aren't projected to do that well, but maybe there's another reason to think about these guys uh, in ways that don't show up in, in the box score. Uh, and that they could be better or could be worse than we think they're going to be. Right. The best model for looking at teams is using stats and watching games. That that will always be the case where you use use data to to try and, and find things you don't see and to try to watch games to see if what the data says backs it up. So that that if you're trying to find a, a, a model, that's the best one to use. Um, Some of you are familiar with. How will Harrison Barnes play in Dallas? Will they try to expand his game? Well, the answer to the second they part is yes, try. but yeah, I was going to say they'll definitely try. They, how do you, how do you try. think? How do you think? I was talking to Winhor to Brian Winters about this on my podcast the other day. How do you, what do you think of this Dallas team? It's kind of a weird mix. Interesting. Uh, mix. Yeah, I mean, I think of them as probably you know a thirty-eight win type of team this year, but we'll see. You know, I, I mean, Dirk has to decline at some point, even if it's only incremental. I keep waiting for that to happen as well. I thought it was going to happen last year. I again was wrong about that. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. They, they have some guys who could break through. Justin Anderson, maybe Wes Matthews would be better. Maybe Barnes will show more. I think he's been tried in a role of trying to create on his own, and I don't think that's why he's a good player. I think he's a good player because he is average or maybe even just slightly below average at very many things, including guarding both forward positions, shooting open threes, uh, you know, get, getting out in transition, rebounding okay, you know, holding up in post-defense. Like, it's more his versatility that he can fit in with a lot of different players and provide shooting uh, as a small ball four than I think that he's like, oh, he's we're going to expand his game, put the ball in his hands and let him create. Like, I don't think he's ever has the, the shake or the moves or the feel or the basketball IQ to really be effective as even a secondary option. Yeah, totally agree. His his greatest skill was that he didn't have any giant weakness. You know, he he kind of like he's kind of a five on a one to ten scale at, a, at basically everything. And and there's a lot of value to that, especially when you're six eight and can guard two spots. Um, and it, you know, he he was a big reason why a lot of those smaller lineups would work because you know your point, he could guard in the post against a bigger guy and they tried to post him up. Uh, you know, even guy like like Zach Randolph would have trouble moving him around in the post, and that that helped him a yeah. lot. Um, and he can switch. He can credibly guard one through four. Right. Totally fine. Right. Right. So, you know, that was more his thing. And, you know, I'll be curious to see if he can if he can do a little more. But I have a feeling he'll just kind of end up being more of the same player. And, and that's, that's just kind of the way it's going to go. Now, here's, here's one. I have one more after this. But here's, here's one final one from this that I thought was interesting. Um, I'd love to hear what everyone thinks the criteria is for labeling someone a bust, which I hadn't really thought of as a question before. What, 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 do you, what would you consider the criteria for that? Well, you have to start about what resources were invested in them to begin with. You know, the criteria for a bust at the number one pick is a lot different than a bust at the the number 15 pick. And I also think that generally our criteria are too stringent for labeling someone a bust that, you know, if you look at someone like who is the number 12 pick, eh, you know, that probably becomes a good, a decent rotation player 50% of the time, 60% of the time. I know a lot of people have done more research on this than I am. That's kind of off the top of my head. Uh, But I think, you know, so it's a sliding scale. Like if you're the number one pick, I think if you don't become an all-star, like you're probably uh, certainly a disappointment. And if you don't become a starter, you're definitely a bust. I think if you're a top five pick and you don't become 
uh, a quality starter, uh, you're a bust. If you don't get a at least an eight figure, probably you know a fifteen million dollar a year second contract, right. you're probably a bust if you're a top five pick. And then once you get out of the top five, though, you know I think if you're a top ten pick and you don't at least become a starter, then you, you're, it's it's probably fair to say that you're a bust. And then maybe you know I would say if you're not, 20, I would say if you're a rotation player, if you're not a rotation player from ten to twenty, but after twenty, it's just a total crapshoot. Like yeah, I, even the back I agree of the first, even and, the back of the first round is just a you're just taking you're just hoping. Yeah. I mean, you might even say that like for becoming a rotation player that it's even the lottery. Yeah, you could you know? say I mean, you, could, you sure. could cut it off at fifteen. That's probably fair. That if you get any, if yeah. you get even a, a rotation player after fifteen, you're really doing well. Yeah, I, I think that that's right. Um, and then one for you because we talked about this on when I was on the True podcast the other day, and I I, I find it interesting because I don't know what the answer is. I would like you to rank the order of finish, in your opinion, for what will be the Northwest Division, which, for people who don't know, is uh, Oklahoma City, Portland, Minnesota, Utah, and Denver. Because I think it's the most uh, unpredictable division in the league this year, and it's I think it's got five pretty interesting teams in it. I agree with you on that. Um, all right, I'm going to go Utah number one. Uh, I, I know I listened to that podcast, actually, and I know that – and I also listened to yours with Windhorse on, on both those uh, – he at least was skeptical. Yeah, Brian's down. Brian didn't have Utah in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, which I, I know I you disagree with. Disagree with him on that. <laughs> a lot of people would disagree uh, with that. Yeah, no, I agree. This is this is why he doesn't like to do predictions. I suppose I love doing predictions. <laughs> by no, the way. predictions are great. Uh, predictions are so much fun. That's because because you're just well, not supposed to take them seriously. But Brian takes them seriously, which well, is sad. well, and that you know, any time that you that we, I mean, you, even if you're not saying this will happen or this won't happen. Anytime that you talk about anything in the league, you're you're basically if you're not making a specific prediction, you're expressing your opinion on someone and, and what will happen. You know, if I'm saying something like, all right, you know, this is a good signing or a bad signing, that's basically a prediction. Of course. Right. Like, right. Of course. You know? And so it's it's pretty much impossible to like to do at least to make my podcast interesting, I think, without doing predictions and that was the whole reason as his friend that i did not tell him i was going to make him do predictions for an hour and they made him do predictions for an hour because you know, <laughs> it was driving insane and uh but then of course once he started doing it he had fun doing it and, and he was fine but he uh yeah well, no and it's, I also, it's just funny i don't care like i don't mind being wrong because that's like a, a good chance to learn it and yeah you know you get some crap from people but most of it's good natured uh, i mean and i will say this though like my Twitter following, especially because I tweet so much and, and about such arcane stuff, is probably you know a little differently curated, we'll say, than Brian's following. Well, Brian's at ESPN. also got I, Brian's also got I think twenty times more than me and ten times more than you. So you know, there's just a lot of you know, it's it's the internet. There's 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 plenty of good people, but the the bad people always outweigh it and just make more noise. But but anyway, to get to get back oh, to yeah. the get back to the question before we wrap up, I'm because I'm just curious. I. Uh, I'm curious what you think the the final finishing order there is because I have some okay. ideas, but it, it's I, right. I think it's not clear. All right, so I'm going to go Utah, Portland, OKC, and then Denver and Minnesota. I, I mean, and none of these are clear. I'm not no, right. adamant of any of these. Really, uh, I do think that people are going a little overboard on Minnesota having won 29 games. I know there's the Tibbs effect. I know they have a bunch of young guys who can take a step forward. Sure, but Still, I'm, I'm you know, definitely, I'm definitely in the, I'm definitely out on the li- on the, uh, on the limb on saying I think they're going to win 50, which I, I, per- I, I readily admit I think is bold, but 
Um, I just look at them as a similar situation to the to the Thunder when the Thunder went from twenty three to fifty with in a I I think then a much tougher Western Conference. Part of my thinking is that the Western Conference isn't that tough, and they have one of I think the ten best players in the league, and they have a great coach, and they should jump up a lot. Yeah, well, the Western Conference not being that tough. I mean, I think you can say that matters in terms of what seed they get. I don't know that it necessarily matters that much in terms of how many games that you're going to win. Like the, the difference between being in one conference or another is really only worth, even at the maximum possible conference disparity is only worth maybe one win a year at most two, uh, according right. to some research that John Hollinger did a while ago. So I wouldn't say, I think I predict, I've not really gotten in that hard into Minnesota yet in their fundamentals. I think I predicted Denver to win 37 on a podcast I recorded that hasn't come out yet yesterday. So, all right, I will say Minnesota just slightly above Denver, you know, maybe at like 38, 39 wins. OKC, I think I had at like 43. Portland, I had at 45 or 46. And then I'd probably put the Jazz at like 48, 49. Yeah, no, that, that whole division, I think, is going to be really interesting. Those are those are probably five of the seven or eight most uh, beloved teams of basketball Twitter at this point uh, with all the young guys they have and all the picks the different teams have and uh that that whole division is going to be pretty fun. Um, be, do you want to do the most out. improved player one? Yeah, you know what? I, yeah, I, I was gonna. I actually I meant to ask you, and then I skipped over. Yeah, I I don't. I haven't had a chance to think about it yet. So if you have some if you have some names, go ahead and. Uh, so the question was, uh, name three players that you think will be in contention for most improved player, which I think is the dumbest award that uh, the the writers vote on every year. It, it drives me insane because there's just no um, there's absolutely no uh, criteria for it. It's just a totally random award, but, but I, I think guys six man is worse. I think six well, man is worse. Okay, because that's you can make a good argument there too. I would be happy if you got rid of both of them, but <laughs> because six man, it's like it's not even who's the best player who comes off the bench. Like that's not even apparently the standard for the award. Like everyone knows Andre Guadalla is better than Jamal Crawford, but it's like no, you have to actually be not only do you have to be the best player, but it's like you have to. Fit these weird criteria well, of like who's scored be honest, most. Last year, Iguodala didn't win because he sprained his. Would he sprain his ankle and missed six weeks? I mean, that's why he didn't win. <laughs> if he had, if he hadn't gotten hurt, yeah, maybe, he would have won. Yeah, maybe you're right about that. But uh, but still, to your point, I mean, he still should have won anyway. I mean, I didn't. Yeah. I don't vote anymore, but I, I I wrote him in as my number one guy. Like he he should have won. It wasn't. There was no debate that he was the the, the best player who wasn't starting all season. But to your point, it right. it didn't matter. Yeah. But anyway. So, so this is my criteria for uh, most improved, all right? You can't be in your first or second year, and I don't think uh, you need to be, you know, at least a third-year guy because rookies improve so much between their first and second year. Right. Uh, so I think, you know, a lot of guys going into their third year would certainly be guys to break out. Uh, with Tom Thibodeau, I think Andrew Wiggins would be uh, an excellent candidate for it. Uh Jabari Parker. I actually think his teammate Zach Levine is going to be a strong candidate for this award because I think he's going to get way better on defense. I think the same goes for Wiggins, but I think Levine might get more credit for it. Yeah, I think that he definitely shows up to me. I mean, you want to kind of think of young guys who are on teams where where they're really getting a chance to break out, uh, get a starting role for a a first time. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, although I'm not personally high on him, the opportunity that he is going to have is going to be a big one. Uh, so that would be one that would pop out to me also. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. He He's a really good example. Um, he's going to get, you know, he's going to start now that Jeff Teague has been traded and he, he's going to get a lot of, um, a lot of playing time and a lot of, uh, a lot of exposure. And I think, I think he is a, 
I think he is a really good example of a guy that, that uh, you know, because a lot of times that's what it comes down to is like, you know, opportunity and, uh, you know, playing time opportunities really. And just people go, oh, that guy's, that guy's got way better numbers this year. Um, you know, yeah. he, he's, he's going to get a chance to, to be in the running for that award. I'm trying to think of some other people that. Yeah. And Wiggins, he averaged 28 a game last year. I don't think that's going to go up very significantly. Right. So he may not get credit, but I think he's just under Tibbs, being older with his physical tools. My hope for him is that he can just become a much better basketball player in the floor game and just helping his team in terms of wins and losses. Uh, but he, the stats, I, I don't like to do these and like, okay, I know who I think is actually going to improve more, but, but let me figure out what like everyone else in the media is going to think. Like, I'll just want to pick who I think will improve right. the most. Uh, I'm going to break my own rule here because this is a second year guy, but he doesn't have, you know, that super high pedigree. So I think I feel okay doing it. Uh, Josh Richardson for Miami. I expect that he's going to end up being their starting two guard. Ah, uh, that's a really good one. League. That's a really good one. He's going to put up. He's going to put up numbers because of that too. Like his not his counting stats will go up a lot because he's going to. He should yeah. shoot the ball pretty well. Um, you know who? You know who could be in the running for this award? Um, I, now this would be dependent on him shooting the ball better. But if Contavious Caldwell Pope shoots the ball like I know the Pistons think he's capable of, he I think could be in the running for this award because. Like, he has a really nice-looking shot and for some reason just has never really made a very high percentage of them. But if that starts to click and he jumps up to the high 30s, say, um, hits 38 39% of his threes and still plays really good defense and the, the Pistons are pretty good like I think they could be, uh, he's a guy that's kind of in the right age range that I think could, could be a factor for that kind of award too. I, I like that one. I, I think that that's pretty good. Um, if he were – if he didn't have DeMar DeRozan in front of him, I would say that Norman Powell could uh, be yes. one. Like him too. Too. But I think he's just not – like it's hard to be a reserve and still win that award unless you're just like, you know, Leandro Barbosa. I think the one year that he won it, he was still averaging like 18 a game or something. I also, um, think, I also think Steven Adams has a chance to win it if he makes the All-Star team. Yeah, yeah. that was. I, I don't think he's – I think there's zero chance of that. But uh, if he does, I think he would, he would certainly be right up there. And he also is kind of on people's minds because he – had that breakout uh, last year in the playoffs. Right. So, yeah, so there you go. There's a whole there's a whole bunch of names. And I, I'm sure it will be someone who isn't mentioned among any of those people once because that's just the way that <laughs> stupid award is. Um, all right. Well, yeah, one you- of the Denver guys, too, could be another one. Gary yeah. Harris might be one. Yeah, any, yeah. any of their 27 young guys for sure. Um, <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, I've kept you long enough, Nate. Thanks. Uh, thanks for doing this. Um, Obviously, you know, you have the podcast I want you to, to promote, but, but uh, you know, tell the people where they can find that. And then if you've, you've got any other stuff you either have coming up or, or you want to want to want to plug, go go for it. Yeah, we're uh, following me on Twitter at Nate Duncan NBA. There's a link to the Dunked on Basketball podcast in my bio there. We're in the midst of our season preview series, actually season outlook, I'm calling it because it's so different than a season preview. I like that. I like that when you did that the other day. I thought that was a nice touch. (laughs) But then the problem is that I always forget to say season outlook and then say season preview anyway. (laughs) But uh, so, so we're doing all 30 teams uh, Sunday nights and Thursday nights. The show comes out now. We're actually doubling up with two hour episodes. uh, And then we'll go back to five days a week, starting uh, the week of October 3rd, finish all 30 teams. And then, you know, Sunday through Thursday nights during the regular season, uh, late at night Pacific time, the show will come out and we've got, you know, we try to cover the whole league, hit all the teams regularly, game wrap ups, cap stuff, draft stuff, scouting. Uh, the, the goal is you listen to the pod and you're uh, you're up to date on the NBA, basically every aspect that we can think of. 
as someone who's both a friend of Nate and a, a longtime listener of the podcast, uh, all of that is accurate. So you should definitely, if you're a basketball fan, you've listened this long. You should, if you're not already for some reason listening to his podcast, <laughs> so definitely, you definitely should check it out. Um, as for me, you can you can find my work at the Washington Post or WashingtonPost.com, in the Washington Post or on WashingtonPost.com. Uh, if you could you could search posting up on iTunes to give us a five star rating and review, that would be great. Um, thanks to Glenn Yoder and the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Uh, those guys are great. Um, look them up online and get their stuff if you like the, the theme music, which many people have said they do, which I think is cool since Glenn is the uh, the sports digital editor at the paper and a good friend of mine. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. You can follow me on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA. Um, Nate, thanks for uh, thanks for taking a little time to do this, man. I appreciate it. And uh, once I get out to the Bay Area in a couple weeks, I'm looking forward to seeing you at Media Day. Yeah, we should. Uh, thanks for having me on. We definitely should talk about uh, places you should go on your road trip out here. Since I've, <laughs> yeah. I've uh, made far too many cross country drives in my time. We'll uh, we'll definitely we'll definitely catch up on that. So so thanks uh, thanks for stopping by, Nate, and thanks to uh, thanks to everybody listening, and we'll talk to y'all soon.